difference between what it means to be good when you're trying to be epic. Uh, no, you don't gotta believe in me. Nothing can stop me. I already said it. I'm taking everything they stole from us. Yeah. You got your problems, I'm a whole nother. I'm giving people something to believe in. I'ma show them freedom like a bone cutter. We gon' fight back. Yeah. We breaking chains over here. Yeah. You can stay over there. And welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call with the alcohol only on it is Blue Wire Hustle Network. And I'll join me on the line. It's been here. Well, he will be fighting once again. It will be on February 20th at UFC Fight Night. He'll be taking on Derek Miner in once again a lightweight scrap. And while he is aiming to make 2021 a much better year, he's overcome uh, all the obstacles they threw at him last year. Well, much more. I give you once again, it's Boston Strong himself. I give you with Charles Rosa. Charles, so it's uh, so now that everything is, you know what's going on. Now that you have experienced, you know, the restrictions, COVID, what you can and can't do, traveling here, is it easier this fight now in terms of, okay, you now know like how much time you need to prepare, how much time you need to quarantine and all that. It's not like a surprise waiting for you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, it's not much of a difference. Uh, it's it's what it is, you know. I mean, I mean, every fight I train as hard as I can for. And obviously, you know, in 2020, there was a lot of restrictions and things. I mean, I was able to fight. Um, I was able to fight two times during, you know, 2020. So um, I still was in the gym. I mean, I haven't left the gym, you know, in 2020. It didn't really keep me out of the gym any days. I was still at access to the gym. Um, American Top Team was open at the time. And, um, you know, I still had mats in my house to train and still running and stuff. So I really haven't missed a beat since all this. Um, it's definitely unfortunate, all the for, uh, all the unfortunate events with the corona, but it's not uh, stopping me from reaching my goal. I mean, was it frustrating at times when you're going to these events, you had to be quarantined? Uh, and for one of every fighter I've talked to, it's you show up at these uh, at the hotels, you can't leave unless it's for an hour training or for food. And, you know, knowing, yeah. knowing how you like to sometimes always be on the move, I'm guessing it was frustrating not to be able to just have the option of, hey, I want to take a run outside. Hey, I want to just, you know, jog, lose some weight. Hey, I want to, you know, just be out and about and I have to be stuck in my hotel room, you know, for, you know, for safety reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's just what it is. I just uh, – I mean, I think it's all mental. You know what I'm saying? It's all how you mentally prepare for it. You got to just think like your opponent's going through the same thing. So nobody has an advantage over anybody else. So I just try to, you know, keep it, um, you know, pretty much just try to keep, you know, you know, keep my mind sharp, keep it strong. And uh, it's what it is. It's, it's, it's part of it. And everybody's on the same level playing field. So that's just the way I look at it. So two fights you had. First one was Bryce Mitchell. We- which a lot of people thought, you know, even though you lost, it was a very gutsy performance that you yeah. hung in there tough. And then you took a fight you know, literally about a month later and you got the split decision over Kevin Aguilar. Why, why did you, why, why did you want to jump in back quick? I mean, most fighters, you know, would have wanted, you know, more time to unwind, relax. You jumped in right away and took it like literally with, within a month. Why yeah. was that for you a big deal? Why did you want to do that? Yeah, I had a sour taste in my mouth. That's just the way I am. You know, I'm I'm not used to losing. I don't like losing. And, uh, you know, that was like the first time in my whole career that I actually feel like I lost a fight. Like, I mean, all the other fights, decision fights, you know, split decision against Yeo Rodriguez, a fight I thought I won. Um, you know, I was beating um, Shane Burgos in New York when the ref kind of jumped in prematurely. I was up two rounds to none. And, you know, I mean, Shane hit me with a good shot and uh, got me on wobbly legs. I was still on my feet and the ref jumped in and I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm winning the fight. 
and the ref just kind of gave me a shoulder shrug like sorry dude and I'm like so I don't really feel like I've ever been you know lost a fight and that was the first time it ever happened so I had a really sour taste in my mouth you know um you know I lost the decision to Bryce Mitchell and uh it was tough so I told my manager I talked called Jason House at the Radium Sports and I go Jason dude like I need to get back in there ASAP like you can you get me anything and I knew there wasn't many um you know other guys that could fight because of the corona and the restrictions and, um, you know, luckily they were able to get me an opponent on short notice. And I was able to hop in there and probably two or three weeks after I fought Bryce, I got right back in the Octagon and I got that win. So it was just like back to square one and I just got an extra paycheck from it. So, you know, coming off a win and uh, looking to extend my winning streak on uh, February 20th. So what changed? I mean, as you said, the Mitchell fight, you felt you lost that fight. And you know, for you, it always used a sour taste. Then you go and you beat a guy Kevin Aguilar, and you look much better. Like, what changed? Was it just the opponent? Was it, you know, the motivation? Was it different tracks? Yeah, like, what changed between the two fights? There wasn't much different. It was just the mindset. Like, when I went against Bryce, like, I'm an adrenaline fighter. So, like, when I went and fought Bryce in Jacksonville, we fought in an empty arena, you know, um, it's a large empty arena, probably seated like 20,000, and there was nobody in there. And I walked out and you know, used to the music, you used to the fans and you used to the adrenaline. Like when you walk out to a UFC fight, it's like, it's like a moment you'll never forget. It's, it's, uh, it's thrilling, you know? And, uh, when I walked out, it was none of that thrill. It kind of just felt like I was walking into like a sparring match a little bit. And, you know, I didn't really have much urgency in that fight. Like I didn't have that adrenaline rush that kind of makes me great. You know, I didn't make, make, I didn't feel like a super superhero. Like I usually do. Like when I walk out to a fight and that adrenaline's going and I'm pumping, I feel like I'm superhuman. And that was like one fight I remember walking out and just feeling kind of flat, like, all right, I'm going to beat him. And then even after the first round, he was kind of on top of me a lot, like holding me down. I'm like, oh, I'm going to catch him. I'm going to catch him. Second round, I figured I'm going to catch him. I'm going to get him. And then the fight's over. And I'm like, man, I didn't even get to fight. Like, I don't even, I went back in the locker room. Like, I don't even have a bruise on me. I don't have a scratch on me. I'm just basically got held down for three rounds and I didn't fight, you know, and it bothered me. So I was still hungry. I feel like I didn't get out of my system. So I, went back and I learned from that fight. I said, I'm never going to go into a fight again and not fight my heart out and do what I always do, whether there's a crowd or not or whatever there is. Like I don't, shouldn't have to rely on the crowd and the audience and all this stuff. So that's what I did. I went out and had an awesome fight against Kevin Aguilar and got a big win against him. So happy, happy to get that W. Is it also weird when, as you said, there's no crowds, you can hear everything. And I do mean everything, whether it's the, the, you know, the referees shouting instructions to the corners shouting instructions. Even you have you the announcers who are literally, you know, still on cage side. And you could hear them, you know, critiquing the fight. Oh, you know, Bryce has to do this and Charles has to do that. Does it get weird when you can hear all that? It's like, okay, you're trying to focus on a fight, but the brain's processing all this yeah. information at once. Yeah, there's no doubt, especially against Bryce Mitchell. I could hear Bryce Mitchell's corner coaching against me and like, which is normal because you can sometimes hear that in fights, but I could hear it so clear and like everything they were saying was so precise. Like, you know, I had like his leg in between my legs when I was in like turtle position. Like that's a position that I could go for a knee bar for. And like, right as I'm about to roll for the knee bars, his coach was like, watch the knee bar, Bryce. And then Bryce moves his foot out. And I'm like, just like, they felt like they were a step ahead of me the whole fight. So like every opportunity that I feel like I would have had with the audience and the noise and the crowd that he wouldn't have been able to hear his corner, they were a step ahead of me. And um, it, it was really difficult. And just, you know, I think they, they coached a perfect fight against me and he fought a perfect fight. And I just came out flat. So it was like a combination of many things. But yeah, definitely that that played a big role in it. Last question on that here before we move on. How much do you feel that was for him like a huge advantage? And, and I'm not 
picking on your Coach America top team, but you've heard them so much. It's almost like, okay, they know what, you do, what you're going to do, what not to do. With a guy like Bryce, who was very young, how much do you feel about was an advantage of him where he could literally have that earpiece, you know, looking that almost that third eye looking down, going, okay, this is what's being set up. So you got to do this, or that's what's being set up, and you're doing that to the point where you're going, oh crap, what can I do? Because they're seeing this before I can literally apply it. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's also an advantage of coming out of a small gym and a place, you know, in Arkansas where the whole gym is surrounded by you. You know what I'm saying? So there's definitely advantages to that. So people think it's the best to go train at a big, large gym with all UFC fighters and all these people, it's great for training partners. But, you know, when you have a small team of people that care about you and their whole life revolves around just you, which probably his coaches do, it's it's actually a large, it's a big advantage. You know, they're watching film, they're studying, they're just focused on your fight. There's nobody else's that they're really focused on. They got Bryce and I think they got one other guy in the UFC up there, but their whole camp, their whole town, their whole city is surrounded by them and they have a lot of people helping them. And, uh, you know, so, um, I mean, I do think it's in, you know, I do think it's, it's, it's a good, good job by his team and his coaches, what they did, you know, and, uh, you know, that's a disadvantage of training at a big gym and that's the advantage of training at a small one with your coaches and your team. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we've got Charles Rosa here on the show. We're talking all things, of course, uh, Bryce Mitchell, we're talking Kevin Aguilar, we're talking coronavirus. I want to take, to, to get to a step further here because we've talked a lot with a lot of our American top team fighters and I've always been curious how does it work in terms of you have all these guys? I mean, at literally at 145, you have people, you know, in this prime, it was you. You have Daniel Strauss. You have uh, Jay, you know, Tiago Alves is sort of in that, you know, weight division. You have, you know, Cole Miller. Yeah, Dustin Poirier. Yeah, Dustin, Dustin Poirier. Poirier. How does it work where all you guys are, are top level fighters? You're trying to get the coaching here. You're trying to get, you know, one-on-one and how how tough is it when not only do you guys share with all you know the other bigger guys lighter guys but it's a pecking order right now you know top guys how tough is this you know just getting sometimes that extra coaching that extra you know one-on-one time when they're spread i'm guessing thin yeah i mean there's the saying this week wheel gets the worm so that's what it is you gotta gotta speak up for yourself you gotta you gotta you know obviously if you're in the ufc you have an advantage over guys that aren't in the ufc you know guys that are in bellator or pfl have a little bit of an advantage or guys that aren't even there just building their way up. So, you know, they just uh, prioritize, you know, the importance of the fight and the people. So it's just kind of the food chain. That's the way it goes. You know, obviously if someone's fighting for a world title fight, like Dustin Poirier's fighting Conor McGregor, he's getting the most attention. He's getting exactly what he needs. And then, you know, if you're maybe just, you know, fighting a contender fight, you're getting some good work in, you know, but you're maybe instead of getting, you know, three private lessons a week, you get two. So it's just kind of just the way it goes, you know, and, uh, but you also got to speak up for yourself and let them know what you need. So, how tough is that when you don't? As again, you want to be you want to be you know firm. You want to you know get your name out there. You want to you know say hey, I need my time. But you don't want you know like most men or I call men's men. You don't want to be a whiner. You don't want to go well. I'm not getting up time. I'm not going to coaching you. You you. So how tough is it to do that? You know, be in that perfect place where you can sit, demand the attention, but doesn't sound like you're whining. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's definitely tough. It's what it is. It's the, it's the, it's a fight game. It's not a, it's not an easy sport. It's a, the hurt business. You know, you get some people's feelings get hurt with things. Sometimes things happen, but you know, it's when at the end of the day, it's just you and one other guy locked in the cage. So you got to do whatever you got to do, whether you got to complain, whether you got to, you know, 
you know, pay for it or whatever you got to do. You got to make sure that when you get that, when you get locked in that cage with that one other guy, that you got everything that you need and you get all the skills you need, you get all the coaching you need. So really it's on you as a fighter. Take it to, we're going to your point. Once again, it's uh, Derek Miner. Uh, this is a guy who has similar size to you and two inches shorter, but he has a two inch reach advantage. He's also a guy who's been fighting at 145. Does that change the way you approach this? I mean, when you have a guy like this who's coming up in weight, do you look at this and go, all right, he's now going to understand what it's like to face, you know, a legitimate, you know, lightweight. This is no longer, well, you know, featherweights where he's, where he's the big guy. Does that change your attack of, all right, I'm going to be more aggressive, I'm going to be more physical, or is it just basically you do you? Yeah, I think Derek's fought at 35 before, too. I mean – this fight is a featherweight bout at 145 pounds. I fought my last fight at 155. Um, you know, I can fight at any weight class. I've fought from 145 to 170. Um, but the thing is, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't think that, I mean, when we both weigh in, we both have to weigh the same the same day. So I'm not worried about that. But I think as far as Derek, yeah, it's a step up in competition. He's never fought, you know, a top, top, you know, top guy like me that has fought the top guys in the world. He's beat, you know, I think he beat a good guy last fight. It's a pretty quick fight, but uh, you know he's to step up in competition for him. So we're gonna see if he can uh, he can swim with the sharks. We're gonna find out February twentieth. Last time before we let you go, it's gonna be killing you here because I know as, as as we're doing this here, the Super Bowl is only days a, a week away here, and you are a Patriots fan. But yet Tom Brady is in the Super Bowl here, and I'm guessing you're going. <laughs> Well, see, I got, you know, I want Brady to win, but that really pisses me off about the Patriots. But you know, damn it, he is my guy here. I mean, how how tough has it been for you? Like, okay, who do I root for? What the hell's going on? Oh, do I on, actually dude. root for the Chiefs this time? No, dude, I love Tom Brady, man. He's a legend. He's a, you know, he's my favorite sports icon person ever of all time, and he's been like, I'm even like, you know, mentor just watching him, like, you know, someone to look up to. Uh, role model for my whole career so um you know he's 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 very respected and uh it's you know it's business you know you switch switch teams it's really not on him and you just got to go out there and do the best you can and that's what he did and he's back in the super bowl so yeah i'm real upset the patriots got rid of him i'm still a patriots fan at heart but i'm also a huge tom brady and rob gronkowski fan i've met rob gronkowski gronk a bunch of times and you know i know his family a little bit i actually hung out with his brother um gordy last week at the hard rock uh hotel and casino so we got, you know, went to the pool with him for a little bit. So, I, you know, I know his family and uh, he's, he, he, you know, he's good people. So, I mean, that's what it comes down to. I'm always rooting for the good guys. Now I got to ask, have you asked him for tickets yet? He said, hey, uh, Rob, you know, <laughs> you guys, hook me up some tickets. Hook him up some Super Bowl tickets. No, I can get in there. No. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll even carry the bags. I'll, you know, you know, wait to everybody here. Just give me some tickets. Give me some Super Bowl tickets, God damn it. Nah, it's what it is, man. I ain't gonna ask nothing like that. I always invite them to my fights and stuff like that if we have the opportunity, but especially with all this corona stuff, it's crazy right now. But you know, they're good people. I'll be watching. I sometimes, you know, especially with my fight coming up, I'll probably enjoy watching it from the house because it takes a lot of effort and energy to get out there and share through a whole game. Uh and I got this big fight coming up. So I'll be watching it from my house, you know, dieting <laughs> on the couch, but uh I'm excited to see it. Uh, there you have it, everyone. Once again, I give you, he'll be fighting on, it is February 20th, and while he's looking to make it two in a row, I give you none other than, well, Boston Strong himself. I give Appreciate you Charles you, So Charles, before I let you go, where can the fans check you out? Where is your Twitter page, Instagram, the website? Where can fans contact you at? Yeah, everybody can find me at Charles Rosa MMA on uh, 
on Twitter and Instagram. And then um, if you guys want to check out Chucky'sFight.com, that's a family charity that we have that's uh, a charity help dedicated to knockout substance abuse. So if you want to donate and help people, you know, get in treatment that don't have the money to afford it, go all for a good cause. And, um, yeah, definitely tune in February 20th and watch me knock out Derek Minor. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I give you so. Charles Rosa, once again, fighting on. It's February 20th. Check your time. More listings for more details. We come back. We got Ian Heinish warming up in a bullpen. He's going to be joining us, talk about his upcoming fight as well. All this and more only on. It is Last Call. Last Call with the alcohol only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. everyone to its last call last call with the alcohol only on it is the blue wire hustle network and join me on the line has been here he'll be fighting once again it's going to be ufc 258 uzman versus burns uh it is the welterweight championship on the line and you also have macy barber alex grasso this may be in the uh co-triple main event here as he'll be taking on kevin gastellum in a huge fight well he is uh, riding high off a big win over gerald mershard and he's looking to capitalize on middleweight uh, rankings as well. What the hell is going on with that division? I give you once again all the way from Colorado itself, from Team Genesis and uh, Fight and Team uh, Fight Elevation. I give you it's Ian Heinrich. Uh, Ian, before we start, before we start off here, uh, let me let me ask you this here: with everything that's been going on, how tricky is it preparing for a fight like this, where you know you have COVID, you have you know quarantining you you are going to two different camps uh, how much has this for you been a, one of the more challenging camps in terms of having to adapt to everything in the real world and just you know in the mma world as you saw my last fight got canceled from covid and uh you know that's that's never you know a good thing especially when you we two guys put in all this work and you know you don't get to fight but um you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad I got it because now I should be good for at least three months because it's hard to do any kind of prevention of getting sick when you're training fighting. You know, you fight each other. So there's not there's not much closer you can get to someone uh, than fighting them. So, uh, yeah, you know, we've just had to adapt and evolve. And um, like I said, just maybe get a little bit smaller groups, more of a tight niche. And, you know, it's actually been it's actually been better in the training aspect of it. And um yeah, it's it's fine. Like I said, you just got to be a person who can evolve. I give you got you guys and gals a lot of credit. When I say guys and gals, I mean <laughs> fighters, boxers, you know, combat sports athletes. Because it's not like basketball or baseball or hockey or even football, where you can do the social distance thing and still practice and train. You know, basketball you can just do seven, you know, three on three drills. Football seven on seven. Hockey three on three. You need to be up close and, you know, touching with people. You need to, you can't wear masks when you're fighting here. How difficult was that for you the first time when it's like, okay, yeah, I, I didn't try to get COVID. It's just, I'm, you know, wrestling, grappling, breathing around people. And well, it's like a flu. 
this one person gets it, even if it's uh, you know, a very carrier, well, then everybody else gets it. It's like a whole pain in the ass. Yeah, exactly. You know, especially to how hard we train, we're, we're compromising our immune systems, you know, and then, and then the lead up to the fight, you know, catching it the week before, it didn't surprise me because you have so many interviews, you have your medicals, you have so many things going on that, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's high stress, you know, and then you got the, 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 the mindset of, you know, next week it's fight week, we're going to get in a fight, this and that, the pressure of all that. And, um, yeah, and we're training with people. So it's always been like this in the fight world. When someone gets sick, most of the team gets sick because we're in each other's face, breathing, we're clinching, we're wrestling, we're grappling, you know, we're sweating on each other. So, um, I mean, you just kind of have to live life and you just pray that, you know, you're fortunate enough to make it to your fight healthy, COVID-free. And, you know, I mean, people fought with the flu all the time. I was ready to fight my last fight, but unfortunately you have to produce a negative COVID test, which I couldn't do. Um, but, you know, I feel very confident. Me and my team, we all got it um, about a month and a half ago, so uh, or two months ago. So we're good. We should be all good. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's only so much precaution you can take with this, and it's just it's the cold, you know, it's a flu. So you just got to kind of, um, you know, work on keeping your immune system high, taking your vitamins, getting sun, getting as much rest and recovery as you can, and, that's probably my advice uh, for anyone trying to stay healthy. <laughs> Let's talk about this camp for you going up. It's a, it's a big fight. It's you versus Kevin Gastelum. Uh, how much has this been a different camp for you in terms of it's a bigger name. It's a big fight, which I know you want. So how much have you changed in terms of being more prepared? As you said, you know, maybe making sure this time around, you, you know, you lessen the COVID, uh, exposure or you get or any exposure for sickness like what have you done differently for this camp compared to the last camp where you got it um you know nothing really i mean the only thing that i've done different is not split between vegas and here i've just stayed more grounded because you know traveling can kind of wear and and, and lower your immune system but people who say they try to avoid covid i mean it's a joke like how do you avoid it like it, i mean all you can do is prepare by boosting your immune system, let your body fight it off. And once you get it, you're good for three months. So um, that's why I feel confident right now. I'm good. Uh, my team's good. We all got it. And it hasn't been the three month mark yet. And uh, so we're, we're feeling good. I mean, there's no really avoiding it's in the air, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's no avoiding it. So it's just uh, keeping your immune system and your stress levels and your cortisol levels lower so your body can naturally fight off anything that comes its way. Kelvin Gastelum, Gastelum. Yeah. On paper, you know, it's most people think, oh, you know, we can beat this guy. He's a small, you know, middleweight. He's, you know, he's five foot nine, you know, 71 inch reach. And yet he's made, he's made a living off of surprising people, whether it's uh, Jacare Souza, Michael Bisbing, Tim Kennedy, what makes him so dangerous? Like when you and your team break him down and, and you're taking every fight seriously here, what makes him such a pain in the ass to deal with as a fighter? I mean, he's tough. He's, he's a hard headed Mexican. He's not easy to put away. And, uh, the dudes, the dudes a savage, man. He's, he's done, he's done a lot of things, but we feel he's a little one dimensional. We feel if we can keep mixing things up on him, we feel on the ground, we'll have an advantage on the feet too, as long as we don't get, um, caught backing up and get caught in his boxing uh, range and 
Um, yeah, we're excited, man. We, we, we think we match up very well against this guy. How much does it excite you about the name? I mean, as, as a lot of people will say, it's fighting. If you're UFC, you're fighting a lot of good fighters. It's, that's just the truth of it. But a lot of people don't know who our Omari Akhmedov is or Derek Brunson. Everybody knows who Kevin Gastelum is. He's, you know, a former ultimate fighter, former champion, uh, you know, just a guy who's been around, you know, is one of those mainstream names. How much is this sort of exciting that you can now name drop this to people? Your business people can name drop when they're getting sponsors and people go, oh, I know that guy. I mean, it's not, this is different from, you know, Antonio Carlos Jr. This is a guy who is a legitimate star that can help boost your profile. Yeah, absolutely, man. The guy's the guy's been in there with the best. He's beat some of the best. And uh, like you said, he's got a name and, you know, and it's all about the hype. And I feel we can go in there and press uh, myself, impress the world, have a spectacular performance, get the finish, and uh, we can take some of that hype and we can run with it. And I'm excited to do that. We're going to go back to this fight a bit. Take, take back to the last fight, though. It was you, Gerald Mercer. Uh, you were coming off back-to-back losses, so I know that, you know, there's some pressure on you because you want to get back into the winning things. What went right? Did anything go wrong at all? And what, what did you feel was sort of, for you, the turning point? Like, when did you feel like, okay, I he's there for you, he's there for the overhand right. He's there just to, for me to catch him. Um, you know, I just, I really didn't even see it until I just, my coach told me movement, Ian, stay on my movement. My movement was so much better. And, uh, you know, I started chopping the legs early and then I went upstairs and uh, the opening was there and it just cracked him. And I, I saw, I sat him down and I was patient on the finish. I didn't rush in like I have before against Derek Brunson. And, uh, and I was able to capitalize and get the big finish. How nice does it feel when, as you said, it, it's the small stuff you learned and all of a sudden now it's making sense. Because you said before, you know, Brunson, you're rushed in there. Akhmeda, I'm guessing you got away from a game plan. It's just, you know, it's minor stuff, but it's stuff that I'm guessing afterwards you're going, God damn, I can't believe I did that. How much with the Mercer fight was there the happiness about, not just a knockout, but it's, okay, I've learned. I've, I've grown as a fighter. I'm not doing the same mistakes I was in previous fights. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's fights are won by inches, small increments, small changes. So, um, yeah, it's it's amazing to um, to get back to the basics, to get back to the little stuff that really um, wins fights, and that's what I did, and got really back to the basics, and uh, corrected just those little things that are going to make the big difference in the big fights. If you're just tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we've got Ian Heinish on the show. We're talking all things, of course, uh, Gerald Mercer. We're talking Kevin Gastelum as he's getting ready for his fight once again. It'll be UFC 258. Uh, how does this work here? Because I'm always curious when guys have two camps. And you train out of uh, fight elevation. You also train at Genesis. Uh, how does it work when you have several coaches? They're all, you know, giving you advice. Like, how do you balance it so that... There's not, you know, too many chefs and not enough uh, cooks. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, you got I got my head coach, Jacob Ramos, um, who is my striking coach, so he takes care of that. And then I have Peter Straub, who's my jiu-jitsu grappling coach, 
and he takes care of the ground game. So uh, they complement each other. I find coaches that complement each other. They don't clash in styles. They communicate. Um, I use land out performance for my strength and conditioning. Everyone's in communication. Everyone's on the same page. And, uh, and, and that's where we stay on track. How does it work for everybody to do that? Because it, this is an e various egos involved here. I mean, every coach thinks he knows the answer. So how did you do it to get all these guys on the same page when, you know, as I said, you have a team, you have the elevation fight team, you get Genesis, they have their own gyms, they, you know, they have their own champions. How do they do it so that everybody's going, okay, you know what, we're going to check our egos at the door. We're going to make this work. So, I mean, fighters got to realize you're the CEO of your company. So you go around a gym to gym and you find a gym. Some gyms are different. Some gyms don't like when you cross train. I used to be at a gym like that. I don't prefer that style. I prefer a gym where I can make changes and find coaches that match my style and what I need at that time. And then we can work out a deal and put them in positions that I need them for me. And, and, um, and I can organize it as such. Some fighters prefer to have one coach tell them exactly what's going to happen and who's going to coach them. That's fine for them. Uh, I've moved out of that, and I like it where, like a tiger, for example, when I train in tiger Muay Thai in Thailand, there's you know a, a bunch of different coaches there. There's a boxing coach. There's or there's a few boxing coaches. A kickboxing coach. There's your head MMA coach. There's a wrestling coach. What coaches do you need for that particular fight? Or what coaches do you vibe with? What coaches do you feel most comfortable with? And then you hire them and you negotiate percentage and you use them. And all the coaches talk to each other. For me, it's been Jacob Ramos is my head coach. He's my striking coach. He's a boxing coach. And I've been using uh, Coach Clem down at uh, – he's a Muay Thai coach down there. And I've just been paying him for sessions. And then I've been using um, Peter Straub at Team Elevation, who I vibe with on the grappling side of things and then I'm able to cross train with the team elevation guys who have a ton of good bodies over there and so it's just you got it's your business and you gotta see what suits your style and for your company and for for uh, your fight coming up and then you put your team together and you just try to make it a dream team and everyone communicates and uh and it's just in, in the in the actions show from from your work you know how frustrating was it has it been for you just this past year when you strike me as a guy who you like to experience everything. You'll go to Vegas. You'll go to Miami. You'll go to to California. It means getting new training, getting, you know, experiencing training with new people to learn stuff. And with COVID, that put a crimp on things. You can't, you know, traveling outside of the state, that's not possible because you have that, you know, 14 days of quarantine. Uh, you know, flights, you have to wear full masks. You have to be you know, isolation. How much is how much for you is 2020 about literally just you know, all these lost opportunities because you couldn't travel, you couldn't just go, you know, wherever you wanted to or do whatever you wanted to because there was a lot of restrictions and you can't get around them. I mean, honestly, wherever I was at, there wasn't many restrictions. So um, I was able to drive to Vegas, drive back to Denver. There was no quarantining. Um, I went to California. I'm going to go to Florida after this fight. I'm not really seeing these effects. Um, you know, MMA is still going and um, the UFC is running. And uh, I mean, if you feel sick, you stay at home. And uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, I can't, it's not, I can't go to Thailand. So I've been affected there. 
But like I said, you got to adapt and evolve to all situations. And that's what being a fighter is. And fighting translates to life a lot of times. And um, so you got to be the same way in life. You've been doing this for a while now. As, as you know, you started fighting all the way back 2014. You've now, you know, it's now 2021. So it's been seven years there. When did you, when did you feel, I'd say, the moment where all of a sudden things started just clicking? Because, you know, there's always, you know, when everybody starts off in the sport, well, you were a striker and then you picked up some jujitsu or you picked, you were a jujitsu practitioner, you picked up some wrestling or you were a wrestler, you picked up striking and it takes a while, but then you figure it out. For you, when was that moment where all of a sudden you started putting it all together going, okay, you know what? Everything, I can do everything. I'm not thinking about, oh, I got to look out for this jujitsu move or I got to think about, you know, the leg kicks. So when did it come to the point where it all made sense? Um... I mean, it's still making more sense as it goes. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't just completely make all sense at once, but things start to make more and more sense. The more training, the more work you put in. And, uh, yeah, it's just starting to click, you know, with this new coach and and uh, just getting more of a boxing style, more of a power striker, then it's, it's clicked a lot more for me lately. And my last fight showed it. It was only a minute and 15 seconds, and this and, and this fight coming up is going to show it. When you win, everybody loves you. When you lose, everybody starts going, hey, I don't get that good. And I want to ask, after the two back-to-back -back losses with Brunson and Akhmadov, what was the biggest change you made? Like what, Because like, they say after your loss, that's when you make changes, because you now realize, okay, this isn't working, i got to fix it. This isn't, you know, helping me, i got to do this. After the Akhmadov loss, like what was the biggest change you made in terms of going, okay, I got to reinvent some certain things or else I'm never going to get to that next level? Yeah, I mean, that's when I, that's when I left the country and went soul-searching for myself to figure out what was going on um, and just had to remember my first love of, of loving the sport and loving training and, and being who I really was and not being locked down to one place, one gym, one person. And so that was, that was what I did. And that just ignited the fire and the passion again. Before we let you go, as you've mentioned this on several times now, of how you're the CEO, you have everybody working for you. There's a lot of fighters who aren't used to that. You know, but as I said, is, there's many of them just like to have one coach because they figure, okay, this is, I'm part of a team. There's only going to be one coach. We don't think of it like a business. How, you know, how tough was it for you getting what you wanted because as you said this is, a lot of these people even who coach think oh no you're only going to be with us if you're if you're part of let's say Jim X you're part of the family there's no going outside the family how tough has it been making people understand that you are the CEO that you are the businessman here you guys work for me not the other way around you know I'm just leading by example I'm not trying to talk anyone into anything if they think that the team aspect like that. And I have a great team around me, but it's a, it's a tighter niche team. It's not every Joe Schmo that walks in the gym. Um, and so I just live it by example. I have teammates, old teammates reach out to me all the time. And cause they see the success, they see the happiness. And at the end of the day, it's your career. So if you mess it up that, you know, that feels better, but if you put it in the hands of someone else and it messes up, you're going to live with some regret, I believe. So, um, you know, I just live by example. I don't try to talk to anyone into anything they don't want to do. Um, if people ask questions, I let them know, hey, this is what's working for me. And just like, I mean, coaches got to remember, like the fighters pay them. So 
they need to have the say of what's going on. Like I said, they're, we're the CEOs, you know, and yes, coaches deserve all the respect. Yes. Coaches deserve the money. Yes. Coaches are there to help you make the hard decisions, but they're not, they're not the last decision you are. You're not going to let your employees run your business. And so you have to look at it as a business because that's what it is. Yes. I love the team aspect and I love having uh, good coaches around me and good teammates, but when when your time runs short and a coach thinks that uh, it's it's the other way around, then it's time to go. And uh, when you go, you you grow, and it's scary. And that's why most fighters don't do it because they're they're hesitant because they don't this the unknown is scary, and it was for me as well. But uh, I'm so happy with my decision, and um, I'm excited to keep uh, keep traveling and keep doing what I'm doing. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, he'll be fighting. It's going to be UFC 258, February 13th. Uh, he'll be taking on Kevin G Kelvin Gastelum in a middleweight scrap. We're looking forward to seeing him fight. Once again, I give you, uh, well, he is the CEO. His nickname should be the CEO. That's what he is. I give you it's Ian Heinich. Uh, Ian, before I let you go, where can fans check you out at? Where is the Twitter page, Instagram, the website? Where can fans hit you up at? Yeah, so find me on Ian Heinish MMA. That's my Instagram and my Twitter. And my website is in my bio. So click on it. Uh, check it out. I got some new shirts out. Um, check out my sponsors and uh, just just follow me. I got some good content coming, some behind-the-scenes stuff to lead up to this fight. Check it out. Follow me. And tune in, UFC 258, February 13th. Ian Heinish, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we are proud to have him on the show. Looking forward to seeing him fight once again. February 13th, UFC 258, only on pay-per-view. Check our time local issues for more details. Uh, we come back. We've got, it is, well, none other than Kyle Dalkus on the show. He's going to be talking about that and a whole lot more. Only oh, thanks, on, man. it is Last Call. Last Call with the Alcohol, only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Welcome back, everyone, to its last call. Last call for the alcohol, only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And once again, I want to thank my two wonderful guests, uh, Charles Rosa. He'll be fighting once again at UFC Fight Night on February 20th. Looking forward to seeing him in action. And Ian Heinish will be taking on Gerald Mershert at UFC 258. I'm looking forward to seeing that fight. Ian is a guy who's rising up in the ranks in the middleweight division. I want to turn our attention to this week, though. It's going to be... Uh, well, was, we have a Super Bowl. We'll talk about that quickly. First, though, it's UFC Fight Night all the way in U in Vegas at the Endeavor. It's 13 fights. It's some a lot of intriguing fights here. I wouldn't say great. It's a nice little card. 
But there's a lot of, you know, storylines here that I think make for some excellent fights. Uh, you have Corey Sandhagen versus Frankie Edgar. We had Corey on a couple weeks ago, and he had mentioned this is the kind of fight he needs to win. You know, this is a fight against a guy who is one of the upper echelon, 135 pounds, a man who's a former champion, a man who is a two-time division, cha- division champion. He wins here. You can argue he's the number one contender for the for the uh, bantamweight title versus the winner of Aljamain Sterling versus Peter Yan. You also got Cody Stamen versus Oscar Askar. Uh, Askar is a phenomenal you know prospect coming in there. Cody Stamen, he only, he's only lost to some top tier guys, and you wonder that last fight against Rivera was he mentally there or was he still grieving because. He had had to bury his brother a month ago. We're going to see what happens here. It's a good fight. You know, winner of this finds himself in the hunt at 145 pounds. Loser might have to win a couple more fights. You've got Clay Guida versus Michael Johnson. Is this the final final time that Michael Johnson is in the octagon? I mean, he he loses this fight, and you start to wonder, at what point does the UFC just let him go? You have some phenomenal prospects here who will be fighting, uh, Carl, you know, Carol Rosa, 135, is somebody you got to keep your eyes on. Uh, Devontae Smith, for a while, was a guy everybody was talking about. Then he ran to Chaos Williams. Then he had a death in the family. And I want to see what happens when he bounces back. I'm looking forward to, sorry, when he, comma worthy lost. But either way, you know, with everything that's going on with him, this is a guy who you look and go, I want to see how he bounces back. You got Mike Rodriguez, Danilo Marquez, and White Heavyweight Scrap. That to me is just action packed. And it's all the day before the Super Bowl. And as I said, it's going to be Alistair Overeem versus Alexander Volkov. Winner of this, they find himself in a number one contender fight. You can, you can safely argue that. If whoever wins this can go, well, we are right there. We can take on the winner of. Either John Jones, if he comes down to heavyweight, or possibly Curtis Blades, if Blades decides that, or if they decide they don't want to do Curtis Blades as a number contender. And look, Volkov's last fight out, it was, you know, a vicious uh, TKO victory over Walt Harris. That was pretty impressive. Alistair Overeem also went over Walt Harris, in which everybody that night was rooting for Harris, but. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't get what we want, but we're gonna let, we're gonna wrap this up. We're almost out of time. Once again, though, I'm gonna give my pick. I'm picking Kansas City Chiefs twenty four, Tampa Bay Buccaneers twenty one. It's gonna be a rain soaked game. I have confidence voting uh, Patrick Mahomes in Travis Kelsey in that Kansas City offense. It's gonna be a good little game, but we gotta wrap this up. So once again, for Ian Heinish and for Charles Rosa, this is Chris Connor saying have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Enjoy the fights. We come back. We got a whole lot more here, though. Next week, only on it is Last Call. Last Call with the alcohol, only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. So stay tuned for more great action on the network. Coming up, don't miss it. <laughs>